You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? I'm a long sample. Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. So what you want? Jesus freaking. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 net scouts. <laughs> Start to see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Film and Loathing for Sunday, January 27th, 2019. This is episode number 15, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. Coming up today, we've got a review of the James Baldwin adaptation, If Beale Street Could Talk. We'll probably also get into a few things that we watched and uh, anything that we've got on our radar. Um, but before we get into our review, how are you guys doing today? Tired as shit. Oh, tired as butt. I've decided I want to try and stop swearing again. Oh, Jesus. Here we we're, go. We're back on the train. We'll see how long this goes. I, I, I made it five minutes um, earlier today. Whoa. <laughs> it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought it would just be like a simple switch, but no, apparently uh, stop swearing is uh, it's become a part of my regular everyday activity. You know, I'm yeah. very interested in electroshock therapy, if you'd be interested in partaking. How are you going to give me electroshock therapy? What, are you going to just put me in a tub and throw a toaster in? No, every time you swear, I will shock you, and then you'll develop this mental thing where you don't want to do it anymore because you relate it with pain. Is it like, no, I don't want that, dude. Is it like, what, can you you're not very own, committed. Can you legally own a cattle prod? I don't know. It's like I'll just I'll just buy like a taser and I'll just zzz, you could just do that. Zap my leg every time I swear. That could I, cause severe nerve damage after a while. Yeah, well, nerve damage, nerve damage. We'll pick a new so spot, obviously. Yeah, I'll just have like tase marks all over my body. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be that'll be great. <laughs> I could go with a rubber band, I guess, and just snap my wrist, but, you know. <laughs> what's what's life if you're not willing to overdo it? It might not be enough pain. The rubber band? Yeah. I think a rubber band would be fine. I hate, I hate, like, if I did it on my, like, not on my wrist, but if I did it up towards my forearm, I got sensitive skin. My forearm hasn't seen the sun in, like, Five years, so I'm pretty sure it's like translucent sensitive at this point. What if you do it on your nipple? Oh shit, dude! I don't even want to think about that. That's a straight up pain. Every time you swear, you have to add a clothespin to your nipple. <laughs> I swear, by the end of the day, it'd be like a cacti just poking out of my tits. And then, if your nipple gets clogged up, then you gotta start doing the surrounding area. What nipple getting clogged up? Yeah, like if you get like too many clothespins on it, then you got to start going the area around it. Oh, ooh, like my areolas? Yeah, man. So you better watch your swearing. Dude, I hate titty. <laughs> I hate titty twister so fucking much. 
<laughs> well, add a clothespin. Shit. Like I'm good. I'm good at add I'm another good at, one. <laughs> I'm good at catching myself when I swear, but I'm not good at actually stopping myself beforehand. Like once I do it, I'm like, ah, gosh, damn it, I swore, and then I'll stop. But then I lose interest. Well, you're already two clothespins in the hole, so. Guess I gotta go buy some clothespins. Yeah, you gotta. We'll curb this any way we can. I'm gonna show up to work tomorrow, and they're gonna be like, "Chris, why you got so many clothespins pinned on your nipples?" And I'm gonna be like, "Freaking swearing, man." <laughs> um. Well, today was a big day for me. Got my very first 4K television. What? Pulled the trigger. So we're going to have to do a speedy show today so I can set it up and watch it. You didn't set it up already? Uh, no, I came home and I had to put together the stand. Which I didn't even get a chance to do because um, Chris said that we could record early. So once we get done, I'll uh, put it together. Well, Maybe good thing I watched a lot of things this week and have a lot to talk about. You watched you a lot watch- of you didn't watch anything in the last five days. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of stuff. How many movies you watch, Zach? I do. I don't know. I don't really count them. You keep you I keep track on Letterbox, it. don't you? Sometimes I I tend to like every three or four days I'll just mass dump <laughs> everything that I've watched. Oh, so it's kind of just like an unleashing, like you're getting the burden off of your chest. Yeah. Hmm. Exciting stuff. I'm not interested in like engaging anyone. I just like it's a list format for myself. So like I just will go on and I'll just dump things whenever I feel like it. So do you you think you caught all the movies that you watched for last year on Letterboxd or do you think you missed out on a couple? No, I have written notes of everything I've watched in the last year. Seriously. Yeah. You've written notes, like detailed, like <laughs> sitting right in front of me. What type of stuff do you write? It's for me to know, and you'd never find out unless I die and become famous. <laughs> Fuck you. You, if you become famous, I'm just gonna raid your house. Yeah, you could probably. If I became famous, you could probably sell this for a good amount of money. You could market it as like famous director Zach Searles' thoughts on over. A quarter of a thousand films. There you go. Mm. I just did it for you. What a good advertisement. You're great at logos. A quarter of a thousand. That sounds a yeah. lot more impressive than 250. Yeah, well, a quarter of a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys want to get into this review then? Might as well. I've never wanted right. anything more. Okay, perfect. So, If Beale Street Could Talk is written and directed by Barry Jenkins, and it stars Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Regina King, Coleman Domingo, and the plot synopsis is a woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy while she and her family struggle to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime. What did you guys think of If Beale Street Could Talk? I liked it quite a bit. Um... I am struggling with if I think this is better than Moonlight or not, and mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that it is. 
I think. Well, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very good, but it also it feels to me like one of those movies that you can't speak negatively about. Does that make sense? As in the Copo will get you? Right. The what will get you? The Copo Court of Public Court of Public Opinion. Oh, okay. It seems like one of those movies that, for whatever reason, people have latched onto, and like, if you have a negative opinion of this movie, then you're just a racist piece of shit. I don't like that, but just tell us how you really feel. Well, like, it's the same thing that happened with Black Panther. It's the same thing that happened with uh, the Ghostbusters movie, even though that movie did suck. Yeah, that movie was really bad. Like there, there seems to be specific movies that get targeted, and those are the movies that rep- like that are basically the litmus test for X, Y, or Z, and whether you like them or not determines what type of person you are. Apparently, okay. So they're basically like a, a people are taking it as a direct indicator about whether you know you agree with the, what's being said in the movie. Kind of, yeah. Like, but, like, I don't have that issue here. Like, I do like the movie. But, like, you you know, you must remember when Ghostbusters came out and people hated it and they said, well, that's just because you're sexist. You, you don't like women. Well, no, it's because the movie sucks. It has nothing to do with that. It is true. The movie did suck. Well, I'm with you. I also really enjoyed it. Um, I've seen it twice. Twice now. You know, I saw it probably a couple weeks ago, so I'm a bit removed. But um, the big takeaway for me is I really, really enjoy the performance of the two leads in it, Stephen James and um, what's Kiki Lane. Yep. Um, I thought they have really good on-screen chemistry, and I really bought them as a couple. And I thought they were great to see play out their romance on screen, and I – had a good time with them, but I'm in the same boat as you where I'm not sure if I th- think it's better than Moonlight. And I watched Moonlight immediately following the second viewing of this. And I'm inclined to believe that Moonlight is the better film, even though when I first saw it, I thought this was the better one. I mean, like, so this movie has some, like, very powerful moments and some very memorable scenes, but I'm not sure if those culminate in a way that is more powerful than the ending to Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can come away with Mo- for Moonlight with like a direct understanding of who that individual was and why that is important. Whereas here, I think it's it's much broader and is attempting to do a bit more. And is definitely more ambitious than Moonlight was, and so that's you should that's to be respected. But I, I also think that that also contributes to some of its shortfalls. Yeah, I think Moonlight was just trying to tell the story of this one kid and like how the surrounding factors influenced him personally. But and this seems to just be more about how it how their situation affects the couple more than the individual. So I don't think we get to 
get a chance to really learn a whole lot about either one of them, but we just get to see how this tears, how this crime tears their relationship apart, or not tears it apart, but like tests it in a way. So I think they're both trying to get at different things. I never, I just never got the sense that their relationship was tested. It always really? feels. You don't think so? I never felt that there is a chance that they won't be together. I never felt that for a second. Yeah, no, I agree with Zach on that. Well, I mean, I think, but I mean, I feel like your relationship, even if you know it's not, it may not even come bad of it. I just don't think that doesn't mean you're not tested in a way. I mean, maybe tested as, as individuals, but not tested as a couple. Why? I mean, I, mean, I but, don't know. I mean, like, I feel like you can still be in, like, a committed relationship with a person. Like, you know, like, you two are, like, good together. But, like, you can still have spats or something can come up that will test will test that. Even if you're bound to get through it, doesn't that still not mean you didn't get tested? I, I just never got the feeling that there was – not that there was any chance that they wouldn't end up together. I mean, I did knew, know that they were definitely going to have a strong solidarity throughout but um maybe how the other person would handle the other person's feelings towards their own individual tests i guess Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like how they would cope and be there for the other given the circumstances that they're going through like when i say that i never felt that they that their relationship was tested and that they would end up together i'm not saying that as like a bad thing so I think that ultimately plays in to the strengths of the movie, which is that it is a movie about grave injustice that occurs, and that occurs semi-regularly, mm-hmm. but it's also about how <clears throat> love trumps all of that. And, you know, this is a movie that is about systemic racism, but it, it also doesn't belabor that point too much. And is it, whenever something like that is touched upon, it immediately it immediately brings you to this point where it says, yes, those things are occurring, but what's most important is love, and that love is going to trump all of that. And the movie is about you know the things that which people will do, the great lengths people will go to for those that they love and care for. Mm-hmm. And I think that is more what you're supposed to come away with, and not this like, well. You know, they're not this big thing of systemic racism, even though that is there. You think that was more of just like a tool to push the story along? It wasn't the, the bigger point? I don't think it's a tool, because I think he definitely has something to say about that. But I, I don't think that it is the thesis of said movie. Okay. So it's kind of like a sub point to the bigger point being the focus on their relationship? Yes. I think I think he's just, you know, as he is pointing out that this thing exists and that it does affect people all the time. But, you know, what what they truly got from this is just like this deep connection with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed their performance. I guess I enjoyed their chemistry a lot together. I don't know. There, there are definitely some moments in it where I, I noticed it, especially the second time around, that 
um, some of her some of her delivery and her lines and just the way that she says certain things, it seems like really childish and off. Did you guys get a sense of that at all? I didn't. I didn't sense it was off, but I definitely sensed that there were some things that were a little childish. But I just kind of chalked that up to the fact that she was not nineteen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was about to say. I don't think childish is the right word. Just um, not yet fully matured because she's nineteen years old. And yeah, some of it just felt it just felt off or like forced, or you could just like tell it was a line being delivered and not how this character would feel. Mm-hmm. I will say that I do I love the the narrative structure at work here and the editing and how there are basically like three to four big scenes and everything else in between is just sort of this montage type let's get a lot of information in really quickly without saying a lot i like that a lot like that first you know the first big scene would be where she reveals her pregnancy yeah but that takes it takes a half an hour to get there because of like because of that structure and how they're constantly breaking from it to tell different little side aspects of the story that got them to where they are. Yeah. It's it's still cutting in and out of that one big moment. How amazing is that scene with when the two families are together and she tells them. Not I was, my favorite part of the movie, but it's good. That wasn't was, your favorite part? No. I was clenching my teeth the whole time. I was I was when I was sitting there watching the I don't want to do any spoilers, but watching the opposition, I was just sitting there, just biting my own tongue. I really, <laughs> I really did not like that. <laughs> I love that scene. That was definitely my favorite. I, I really liked the scene. I just didn't like the actions of uh, somebody involved. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. The guy's mother is awful. But oh, that's sh- the only part of the movie that she's in, and like... Which is definitely weird. I would have liked to have seen more of that. Because like, obviously they still have to be a part of this somehow. So it would have been interesting. Like They, get, they get them really in build up times. this opposition that his parents are going to have. But yet they're not even in the rest of the movie. So I don't really... No. That didn't I mean, make sense to me. But I, I mean his dad is... It may not be as prominent as everyone else. But he's in it like involved in the, the, the story. He may not be vocal or present as far as camera time goes but, he, but he's involved i just i guess i just imagined uh his mother having more outward um pushback against them throughout yeah. the whole thing that would be a continuing thing yeah especially it's since kind of they, that one scene and done especially since they like kind of led with that yeah you definitely are led to believe that there'd be more from her and I will admit it is a bit of a letdown to not see them in there again because their dynamics and how they interacted, what I thought was very entertaining to watch. I laughed a lot out loud a couple times during that scene, for sure. I like her dad quite a bit. I wish he had a bit more to do. But like again, it's not their story. It's hers. So no. I, I, I get it, but I still would have liked to see more of him. Um, I this is just something I was thinking about. Do you guys think Regina King was that good? I thought she was good. I okay. really liked her. I especially okay. liked the scene where she like goes to meet the to go to meet the woman, and they like mm-hmm. talk in the alley. I thought that was a very good scene. 
I did too. I just wanted to be sure because it it, it didn't really seem like. Are you are you trying to insinuate that it's not an Oscar worthy performance? No, 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 no. I thought Regina King was abs- was was really good. I thought she was really good in this role. I just because if if you want, you, you you can go there and we can rehash the, <laughs> the Christian Bale argument again. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not digging up any any <laughs> graves here. I just wanted. I just was curious because I thought she did really good, and it just seemed like she didn't. I wish she would have had more going on. Like she was definitely was a very prominent piece going through. I just wish that she was a little more involved. Like it just seemed like when they were in a relationship, like when they were coupled up, nobody else was involved. It was just those two. And then her and her family had her situation. And then him and his friend had their situation. And then she kind of came in for a second there, but it didn't really feel involved it was just so you could get that on-screen presence felt um so i just wish there was a little more family interaction with both of them like i wanted to see how everybody reacted to them together in real time mm-hmm. like that's what i wanted to see more out of regina regina king and that's not her fault for what she had she did a fantastic job i just wish it would have been just a 10 c bit more Hmm. Now I'd be really curious to check out the book and see like what the book touches on, and like if this if if the narrative structure is similar, if like a lot of the same things are in there, I'd be really curious. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see. I mean, James Baldwin's stuff is very very dense, and so I would imagine that book is probably no more than 300 pages but there's going to be a lot in those 300 pages yeah so i wonder if that was also tough for barry because you know being that this is an adaptation i wonder if a lot of maybe the things that we're talking about here was just him struggling to pull out what he thought was important to tell the story that he wanted to like is like as far as dramatically i don't think there's anything missing no, I, I haven't. I haven't read the book, but like, it does feel complete. It doesn't feel like there's anything that, like, I'm sure the only thing that you get in the out of the book experience is just a better understanding of everyone. But yeah, I which think, I feel like is lacking a little bit. I mean, I like, there's like enough. You know, you know enough. Yeah, there's definitely enough in there to sympathize with them. It just seems very surface level. I mean, it it, it kind of kind of is because the only two people you really need to develop on is the two main characters. Like, as far as surface level, like you don't really need to know much about her dad or her sister because they're just doing what they can to keep these two people afloat. No, I don't care about them. I I would like to know just more about the two main leads. Just like spend a little bit more time with each of them. Really. Cause, but they're like they're also like trying to like you know work in information about why they're even in this situation, so that eats up time. Plus, like trying to put in scenes, like show them together before this all happens, well, so that you build a little relationship with them. So I don't I even feel think like time could be spent better. I don't even think this movie is about him. Like I, I solely 
think she is the focus of the movie. That this is her story, not it's not their story. He just happens to be involved in her story. So like, mm-hmm. you know, all you need to know about him, which is that he cares for her deeply and that he is innocent of this crime. And that's that's kind of it. Like you can take a step back from him because you don't need to know any more than that. And this is all about how she is dealing with a being pregnant and unmarried and undesirable, really, because she her love partner is in jail. And so how is she dealing with that on top of having to work and having to do this and to do that and like constantly things keep popping up that create obstacles for him being freed and now she has to deal with that and like i feel like this is it's it's i would like to spend more time with him certainly to flush him out more but i also don't feel that it's necessary hmm. no, yeah, i guess my, that, that makes sense yeah, I, I was just gonna agree like i, I guess that Makes sense. I didn't think about it that way. Like, I definitely thought that it was their story, but I understand what you're saying and why you think it's her story. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. It feels like there's there's just, like, seems like a something missing that just, like, really reinforces, like, what it's all about and who it's all about. But I feel like there's just a little bit of everything, so it's hard to say but maybe that's the point maybe it's not supposed to be really narrowed down it could be too i will say my favorite scene of this whole movie is the dave franco scene that was your favorite really that is my favorite was it because of dave franco and you can be honest i was surprised to see him honestly and a jewish dave franco too (laughs) but like I think that that is just in that scene you get the essence of their relationship in that scene you get the essence of them struggling as like African Americans in this time in this incredibly racist time Mm -hmm. and then you get the essence that they don't have much but you also that that doesn't matter to them that like just having each other is enough and you know, it's also this very lighthearted scene that really gives you a break from the previous scene that you just witnessed where they talk about all the racism that they have experienced trying to find a new place to live. And you get to see this incredibly crappy place that they're currently living. And that guy from, I always forget, is David Tyree Henry, is that his name? The guy from Atlanta? Yeah, he talks about like being in prison and what that was like for him. And it's like, and then you go from this scene and it's just perfectly timed and just the right amount of time away from this incredibly, you know, somewhat serious situation that they are in. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one too, for sure. It's not better than them bickering and arguing and calling each other dirty names, but it's pretty good. <laughs> I like the ending. I thought all of the the prison sequences were very good. Mm-hmm. All very moving and all very emotional. I just liked when you brought the kid in there. As soon as you brought the kid in there, everything got a little bit more... Like, once the whole situation was resolved, whether it was, 
you know, came to a conclusion in a way that we liked or didn't like. I felt like in the end, as soon as the kid came in, everybody just kind of calmed down. Everything just got like a tidbit, not more serious, but a little bit more mature. Granted, it was like, what was it, like five years later, four years later, three years later, something like that? Probably something like that. But even with those couple of years, I still feel like you could sense the like forced growth in both of them. Or at least I could. Did you cry? No, I didn't. But um, definitely could have. I got a little misty-eyed. Like, so there's that previous scene where, you know, he reassures her that he's coming home. And you sort of get the sense that that has another meaning to it that he's not leading on to. And then you get the voiceover that informs you that he took a plea. And then you get to that scene and the sun comes in. And you don't see what the date is, but he just writes down the date. And they're just like, yeah, ever since I told him that's the day you were coming home, he can't stop writing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought that part was really powerful. It really is. I, I just like the simplicity of the story. Like, I like how it... I don't know. It wasn't wasn't like didn't feel like twists and turns all over the place. It just felt like very linear. And then it just ended and it wasn't like a super extravagant. <laughs> I think this is the opposite of linear. Well, no, no, no. I don't know. Hold on, hold on. As far no, no, hold on. Uh, hear me out. As far as like um the main story, not the like side things that you go off on. I'm talking about the main point where the side things went off of it went from it just felt very like things are just happening and then at the end it's just ending there wasn't any extravagant thing that happened there wasn't any major ups or major downs beyond like anything that was you know so shit was just happening I wanna I wanted to ask a question that maybe you guys don't know the answer to. Um maybe I just don't understand the law or maybe there's something that I missed. But like why this woman that is accusing him of rape and then she flees, why would she not be extradited to stand trial? That's a good point. Define extradited. Like she is the defendant. She would have... I mean, like, maybe I don't understand the law. Maybe she doesn't have to be present. But, like, she would... I feel like she would have to be there to testify against this man that supposedly raped her. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like they would definitely call her as a witness. And then she, the fact that she flees looks very suspicious. And then... Yeah, but... If we're supposed to take also... from that, that... You know, because he's a black man, that they're not doing their proper duties as like police officers and men of the law to set him free. Or like, I mean, they're definitely not doing due process. I feel like is that what we're supposed to take from that? Is that he's not being given due process? Because there's the scene with the lawyer where they talk about because they ask like why, like how come she, how could she leave? And he is like, oh well, they're probably helping her. It makes sense now. That's fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> I, 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 
I didn't like her. The, I, the accusee? The, yeah. Accuser? The accuser. Accuser. I didn't like her at all. Like, I understood her, but it just was hard for me to sympathize. Not sympathize, because I, I, I definitely like sympathize with her. I feel like they do try to humanize her when she goes yeah. to go. No, and and they do like a decent job. It was just hard for me to sit there and be like, okay, I understand why she's doing this because I don't see myself, even if going through that situation, destroying some random person's life just to get the situation away from me. Well, I also feel that the movie definitely sets up that She's not a bad person. She was coerced by police. Mm-hmm. And that she, all she knows is that she was, in fact, raped. And who did it to her, she's not 100% certain, but she's coerced by police to say, no, it was definitely that guy. I mean, she yeah, wasn't. And co- I think she's just so wrapped up in it that she's like, yeah, okay, that's definitely it, yeah. Was she coerced to pick him in, like, pick him out individually? Though, or was she well, just coerced to pick somebody out of a lineup? Because well, I, I think it she was, was saying. strongly suggested by that one police officer. Because that was the police officer that they had that run-in with at the grocery store. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. So like he already had it out for him. Alright. I had a hard time putting that together. But it's so linear. The general plot is linear. The general plot is a very linear, you know, not super extravagant plot. Things just happen. Well said. I love the score in this movie. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that earlier. But you did. I didn't. But you did. Zach gets points for that one. I can't even honestly remember the score. Like it's, I was listening to, you know, Barry Jenkins talk about it, and like, you know, he has this like multiple things are used multiple different times. And he was like, I guess him and his composer would like break up pieces of music, and they would like rank them, like, you know, like this this part, this part, this part, this part, and this part, and like, well, and then he was like, well. The eighth most important part in this scene might conjure up emotions that make it the most important part in this other scene. So they would just like reuse that little portion and orchestrate new music around that small portion of it. It just seems like the weirdest way to craft a score, but like it, yeah. it works. Do you know who wrote the score? I don't know. Mm. Bach, maybe? I wish I could remember <laughs> it. Um, I am, I will say I am surprised that this movie didn't get nominated for a whole lot. Like, I'm really surprised Barry Jenkins didn't get nominated for something, for directing. Yeah, I mean, he directed the shit out of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think this movie was gorgeous. And, like, I watched a screener copy of it, so, like, the quality isn't amazing. And even I could notice that he directed the shit out of this. So, like, seeing it in theaters properly projected... It's probably an amazing experience. It did look very nice. A lot of the colors very fit the time period. Brown tan. 
Yeah, it's like some like reddish, like dark reddish hues in there. Like, it looks good. I how is this not a best picture nominee? Is it not? Very, this seems like it should have Oscar nomination written all over it. It is not a best picture nominee. Are you kidding me? I think it's only got Regina Regina Hall and best adapted screenplay. I think that girl's nominated for best actress. No, I don't think she. No, no she's I not. Has, I think it has a best score. No, oh, does it? I think so. I'm gonna look up what's nominated over this. Uh, Vice, Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther. All very odd choices. I haven't seen Green Book and I haven't yeah, seen it's... Bohemian Rhapsody, but out of the movies I have seen, I would put this over Vice. Black Klansman and Black Panther, and even the favorite. To be honest, I would put this over the favorite. I would. I, like this seems like an Academy movie. It is a movie that is about social injustice. This is this is this has best best picture writ, like winner written all over it. And you think coming off the Moonlight success, and like. Given that, might... that they gave him the Oscar for Moonlight, you would think like he would be on a short list. That okay, the next movie this guy makes, he's gonna we're gonna put him on put him we're gonna give him one. I mean, he's gonna be on the short list. Maybe that's why they didn't, that or maybe it was because he's African American. But they already gave him one. <laughs> yeah, so maybe two's too much for them. Denzel's got two. Two Oscars is too many for a black person? No, I'm saying... Those comments the, are not going to sit well, my friend. I'm saying from the Oscars perspective. I don't know. I'm just saying I think that it's an absolute atrocity that he's not up for something. Four, got, four out of four of the nominated best pictures are that I've seen, that's only out I've seen, are worse than this. Yeah. I yeah, think, almost, I think all of weird. them are worse than this. And the fact that there's ten slots available and they couldn't use this, couldn't use one of those extra two for this. I I think I liked A Star Is Born quite a bit. I don't think it's better than this. I'm biased. I mean, I'm fine with A Star Is Born being there, but I do have a problem with Black Panther being there and Green Book being, or no, sorry, not Green Book, um, Vice. I don't like it. But anything else to say about if Beale Street could talk? Oh, here's a question. Why do you think it's called if Beale Street could talk? Because of that quote if, in the beginning. There's that quote about. No, no, I understand. Street being, um, Beale like Beale Street being basically the representative black experience, right? Something like that. So why do they think it's then set it in New York? Why isn't it set near Beale Street? Didn't they say that like black culture can all be stemmed back to Beale Street? Yeah. Like, Black Beale Street was, like, the original um, neighborhood where black culture started, and then it then branched off into, like, New York, and then it branched off to here and then there. At least that's what I remember. I could be wrong. That sounds right. It just seems weird to me to call it if Beale Street could talk and then set it in New York. Yeah. I mean, it, like, th- it like, threw me off the first time I watched it Cause like I remember like being like halfway through the movie and just being like, "Huh, New Orleans is like not 
really what I pictured it being. <laughs> like seeing like not these stereotypical portrayals of New Orleans, but then like it started talking about like I can't remember what they said, but it was definitely New York, and I was like, wait. Wait a minute. I did, yeah, I didn't know that it was set into New York until I read the IMDb synopsis after I finished the movie, in which it said, like, in Harlem, and I was like, wait a second. Yeah, this, like, it's on me off. Um, I'm saying it threw me off. Like, there's the not a lot called? of, like, exterior shots, I guess, so, like, I maybe that's why they were like, it doesn't really matter. Was the movie the, takes place indoors. Yeah, it's the, true. If the book's called If Beale Street Could Talk, maybe there's, like, goes into better detail in the book or something. Well, there are plenty of scenarios where movies are based on books and they don't use the book's title. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if is this one based on the title of the book? Yes, like, is the book oh, I think so. Yes. Well, then if it, maybe it just explains it better in the book or something. I also or maybe think they wanted to link that to the book, maybe give it a little bit more edge in the not popularity, but like getting people to see it. Okay, well, here's something. So apparently the name of this was is a reference to a song called Beale Street Blues, and that song is named after Beale Street from um, – but this says that Beale Street's in downtown Memphis, not New Orleans. I said we have a whole slew of liars here. Yeah, Beale <laughs> Street's in Memphis, Tennessee. It definitely says New Orleans in the film, right? pretty certain i think it says louisiana i don't know does it specify new orleans okay okay so wait but is it but beale street is in tennessee i feel like there could be more than one beale street i'm fine with what? accepting that what <laughs> what is going on is the movie wrong i don't know is the guy you That's wrote weird. the story wrong i don't know this is weird I guess I Barry have to like, Jenkins, check out... you are a fraud. <laughs> I'm I guess giving I have him the to... benefit of the doubt. I gotta check the beginning again, I guess, to see what the quote is. I feel like they definitely say something about Louisiana. That's weird. Or New um, Orleans. Just look up like um just look up like if Beale Street could talk quote. If Beale Street could talk. Opening quote so the quote is beale street is a street in new orleans where my father where louis armstrong and jazz were born every black person born in america was born on beale street born in the black neighborhood of some american city (laughs) whether in jackson mississippi or in harlem new york beale street is our legacy this novel deals with the impossibility and the possibility the absolute necessity to give expression to this legacy Beale Street is a loud street. It is left to the reader to discern a meaning in the beating of the drums. James Baldwin. Okay, so is that saying that Harlem and all these other streets kind of stemmed from Beale Street? Or is that saying well, that say, Beale Street says, is like a representative of Louisiana's uh, iconic street? Well, it's, okay, so it just says Beale Street is our legacy. So that's where they're drawing the title from. It's still weird that they say Louisiana, but then it says, but Wikipedia Beale Street is for downtown Memphis, Tennessee. That's so weird. OMG. What a wacky world. What a wacky world. Hmm. I mean, it is crazy to think about that. 
you know, besides the feature that he made in film school, this is Barry Jenkins' second movie. Seriously? Yeah. That's ridiculous, dude. Is this guy like a prodigy or something? <laughs> it would appear it would appear that way. I mean What's... first man is Damien Chazelle's fourth movie. What it was his first movie? Uh Guy and Madeline on a park bench, which I think he made in film school as well. Yeah. And then And then Whiplash, Whiplash and then... which was started as a short film. And then La La Land and then First Man. These guys got some they got an impressive uh, generation of filmmakers here. But it's like, I don't, it's weird because uh, it's the second film. He already has an Oscar. So I feel like he's been being given no benefit of the doubt that like, yeah, you know, a second time feature filmmaker is probably still going to have some kinks to work out. Mm, not much. Like, he's not, I don't feel like he's being given that. So like all of these like small little issues, like you know the you know the main male character not being that fleshed out, or like this or that. Like I think those are all just small little problems that he would correct with experience. Even yeah. then, the 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 main male character's impact is felt, so it's not like you're missing out on a whole lot. Like it still works without that info. Yeah, I mean for a second. And for your second feature film, your big, your big one at least, that's pretty damn good. So I like, I don't know, like this movie, you can just tell, like with every single like scene, every single like shot, there is true passion coming behind it, and it's just like that is just something that cannot be taught. You have to, you either have it or you don't. And like it is very evident watching every single scene in this movie that he just has it. For sure, for sure. Yes. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say about if Beale Street could talk? No. Mm-mm. All right, let's give us some ratings then. What you guys think? Uh, I'll let you go first, Zach. Um, I'm gonna go four and a half. I'm going to bump off Zach and say four and a half. And it is a four for me. Four. Came down a little bit on a rewatch. The only reason it came down is because Beale Street's in Memphis. No, I would say it, come, <laughs> it comes down a, star a little bit. For not being able to read basic maps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then let's move on and get into some other things that we watched this week. Zach, you said you got a bunch, yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I've got one to talk about, so. <laughs> Chris, do you have anything? I got one. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> listener, get ready. It's just going to be a lot of me. Um, I will start. I can talk about a couple things that I watched, <clears throat> like right towards the – like Ray Tor is when we recorded our last show, which is only a couple days ago. So I guess technically it would still have fallen in if it would, if we would have had the regular recording schedule. Just I mention can... whatever you've never mentioned on the show before. Oh, you opened up a can of worms on that one. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'll start Go by ahead. mentioning that I watched um, both 
of the documentaries about the fire festival. Okay. Uh, one of them is on Netflix, and then one of them is on Hulu. Um, both of them have their strengths and their weaknesses. I feel that the one on Hulu, I don't know who directed it uh, off the top of my head. But that one is definitely more designed for a younger audience. And, like, it's very... You know, a lot of graphs, a lot of cutting back and forth between different imagery, a lot of pop culture references that sort of relate to what they're talking about is just very much designed for people with very low attention spans that need to be constantly stimulated by an image. Mm-hmm. Whereas the one on Netflix that's just called Fire is directed by Chris Smith, and Chris Smith is an amazing documentarian. He did Collapse, which is amazing. He did Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, which is very good. Um, he's directed my favorite documentary ever, uh, American Movie. So I like him a lot. And what he does is very interesting. It's like the, he they have access to all of this archival footage that took place, you know, I guess just to backtrack, do you guys remember like what the Fire Festival is? Yes. <clears throat> My boy Ja put it on, right? Uh, he is involved very weirdly, but it was put on by this guy named um, Billy McDonald. Billy, well, I feel like I should get his name right. Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Uh, so Billy McFarland is his name. And he's basically just a con artist. That's all he is. And, you know, the story of how this all came together is very fascinating. But then you throw in, like, this footage that he hired someone to shoot for a weekend. And it's just, like, the guy, they interviewed the guy who shot all the footage. And they're just like, yeah, like, I don't I don't really know why I was there. Like, <laughs> I, I have all this footage of models, like, on this beach in the Bahamas and them swimming with pigs. But I don't understand what any of that has to do with this music festival. And it's just like, there's a lot of really interesting stuff about who this guy is. And then, like, how this whole thing came about. And it's like, they interview, like, experts behind, like, Coachella and whatnot. And they're like, yeah, any festival of that size would take probably 18 months to plan. And then this Billy McFarlane guy tried to do it in five, and it was a disaster. And, like, there's the one on Hulu is called Fire Fraud. And I think that one's interesting because they actually interviewed Billy McFarlane. Chris Smith never interviews him. He just uses the archival footage. And so he's... I don't know, like, just looking at him and listening to him talk, he just sounds like a scumbag. And, like... There are point. There's a point near the end of Fire Fraud where <laughs> they start like they start pressuring him. They start asking him these questions that he does not want to answer. And then he's like, "I need a ten minute break." And they're like, "What do you need a break from?" And he's like, "I just need a personal break." And they're like, "Is it so that you can come up with an answer?" And he just like doesn't say anything. And he starts to like take his mic off. And then like when he comes back, they're like sitting down. He's like. He said they start asking him about his federal indictments, and he's like, I am not going to speak about current 
criminal investigations. And he's like, so are you admitting that there are criminal investigations? I can't comment on that. And he's like, I don't know what you're trying to get at. Uh, nothing that I've said during this interview has been false. Like, we we can look through the tape. Nothing has been false. And then, <laughs> and then they they take, like, six statements that he's made and proven with documents that they are, in fact, false. And <laughs> it's this amazing, like, gotcha moment. But then the fire fraud one, like, I think it shows the repercussions more of, like, what this what is responsible for this guy and like what he is now basically the shitstorm that he has brought upon himself it's very interesting it talks about how when he was on bail because he he was being sued for a hundred million dollars and when he was on bail he set up this other scam trying to sell tickets to the victoria's secrets fashion show and the met gala and the masters <laughs> yes i heard this and then they like they bring some guy on and they're like, they don't sell tickets to the Met Gala. Like, <laughs> you have to be <laughs> like he's out on parole for one scam, trying to commit another scam, and it's just like it's the craziest story that you literally just you have to just watch to believe. And I think both of them like complement each other very well. And the one thing I wasn't aware of is that like fuck jerry like the instagram page like the meme page or whatever was involved in the fire festival and so it's it sort of starts to ask like well these people made the entire marketing campaign for this festival like why are they not being criminally charged like they are partially responsible for thousands of people giving their money to this thing that was never going to happen in the first place hmm. and like that's kind of interesting and they interview the person who did the entire marketing campaign for it and how he, he ended up quitting his job at Fuck Jerry to do something else because they basically sold him out. And they were like, whatever this guy is saying is wrong. And he's like, I'm not lying. Hmm. It's, just, it's really interesting. I would I think both complement each other very well. What one doesn't touch on, the other one does, and vice versa. That's cool. I, just I definitely want to give those a poke. Both of them pop up on different platforms in the same week. And I was like, huh. This is maybe, it was, maybe it was planned. So I watched them both. I'll definitely check them out. Uh, what do you got, Chris? The only movie I watched this week was True Grit. Oh, nice. You did watch it. I did watch it. I don't know why I didn't watch this movie sooner. I really freaking like it. This is your first time seeing it? This is my first time seeing True Grit. And I, <laughs> it was weird. Because it was actually really funny because the first 10 minutes I watched this movie, I was like, shit, this isn't the, even the movie I wanted to watch. It was the movie you really? <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to watch Crazy Heart. Yeah, they're well, not that's even so different. The same thing. <laughs> well, it's just they both, they both had Jeff Bridges, and I was like... That is their only similarity. I know. Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, I i enjoyed it i it's really like saying, it's literally like saying i wanted to watch the godfather but what i ended up watching was jack and jill and it's like they both have al pacino but they're not <laughs> even close to the same thing <laughs> i know i know so i uh i watched true grit and i really liked it um i wasn't <laughs> expecting matt damon so that was a plus 
Um, oh, I overall good performance. I thought, what's her name? Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. I like what she was doing there more than what she's doing now. What is she doing now? Singing. Wasn't she in oh. Bumblebee? She was in Bumblebee, but she also sang the um, original song for that. She's in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of her in Pitch Perfect. Although, I do have to say, I do like her one song there. I love me. Gonna love myself. No, I don't need anybody else. Did hey. you see Edge of Seventeen? No, I saw Seventeen again with Zac Efron. Okay, well, using your logic, they are probably close to the same. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't do my research before asking for it, but overall, very good experience. I would... Uh... I thought you wanted to see it because of, like, the whole remake thing, but... I mean, it it was yeah. on my it was on my list. I just didn't. So I, I didn't think it was that strange when you asked. I was like, oh, he just wants to watch it because it's a remake. Okay. Yeah, but I did watch it, and, it, and I'm not gonna lie, it actually did make my list. So pleasant surprise there. <laughs> I have nothing else to really say. That's about funny. It, it is Jeff, good. It was hard for me to understand Jeff Bridges through half of the movie. But, he has this great line in it that I always remember being like thinking was hilarious when I first saw it. I forget it now. You what's yeah. the what's the phrase that that man shouts in the James Franco sketch from Ballad of Buster Scruggs? What he shouts? Yeah, you know how he like oh is it like to uh, rob the bank and then the guy comes out with a bunch of oh the pans? Is it pans? Is he yo, pans? Like, I think like he hits pans like, and pots like, like pans like pancha, pancha, pancha. I'm just imagine Jeff Bridges yelling that in the movie. Oh my gosh! I love his accent in uh, True Grit. <laughs> Can't even understand a word he says, but I love it. Basically, Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Yeah, yeah. but a little, bit, a little bit better. It sounds like he's got like chewing tobacco stuffed in his mouth. Yeah. Thought it was cool, though. I thought Jeff Bridges was the perfect character man for the job. Speaking of Jeff Bridges, what do you guys think of the Big Lebowski thing? I didn't see anything about it. It makes me want to vomit. I saw that there was something, but I didn't check to see what that thing was. I'm pretty sure it's just a hint to a Super Bowl commercial, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm like, praying that it's not a Big Lebowski sequel. Yeah. Didn't they make a big Lebowski too? No. No. Huh. I think so. Oh. oh, for sure they did. If they did, none of the original cast was involved. That's true. And it probably wasn't Joel and Ethan Cohen pr- approved. <laughs> maybe there's like a maybe there's a Bollywood sequel. That'd be something. That would be something. Oh, they did come out with a big Lebowski too. Really? No, never mind. It's just a no. fake trailer. Okay. You've been scammed. Yeah, I've been scammed. Well, so the only so um the one thing I watched this week <clears throat> we're talking about is I watched uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, directed by Ron Howard. I'm sorry. Um, I definitely didn't love it. And I'm not even sure I liked it. 
it's I don't know. It's really weird. It feels like the first one of so that there's three, six, seven, eight, nine. So ten, ten Star Wars films. This is the tenth one, right? Probably, sure. including Rogue One. So this was the first one that kind of just doesn't feel a lot like a Star Wars story. Like I feel like there's a lot of characters and aliens that you've never really seen before, like planets and systems they talk about that you've never seen before or heard of. So it, it never really felt like it was set in the Star Wars universe, per se. Um, so that was kind of odd. Um, the guy that plays Han Solo... Like I think he does a fine job, but I'm not I'm not a big fan of how like that Han Solo character is written. Like can, have you guys seen this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he feels he feels really peppy and like um ex- overexcited about everything, which oh. <laughs> just Han Solo doesn't is not optimistic. Which is what I'm saying, yeah, cuz like there's like the scene where they're in the the um like the castle and He's like, oh, I got a good feeling about this. It's like, what? No, that's not what Han says at all. Um, and I guess part of – I think a lot of what, what I didn't really care about about this one is that it just wasn't very interesting to me to just see all these moments from Han's past just reenacted. Like I wasn't – I'm not all that interested in knowing how he got his blaster pistol. I'm not – that interested in knowing the first moment he met Chewbacca. I'm not really that interested in seeing him do his Kessel run in 12 parsecs. Like, like we already know it all happened. I'm, I'm like, I'm not that concerned about seeing how it happened. Like, I wish it would have just been some random story with him and Chewie on one of their adventures. You just see it play out. I will say, I did like to see how he got the Millennium Falcon, though. But you already know how he got it. He won it in a game against Lando. I don't. I don't need to see it. I know, but the bright one bright spot of that movie for me was Lando Calrissian, because yeah, he, you know Donald Glover can't do any wrong. Yeah, I don't know. He was fine, I guess. It just none of it really just. I don't know. None of it just seemed that inspired. It just seemed very dull, kind of. And then, oh, it also like was. You just very, described Ron Howard's entire career. It's very hey, drab. Gladiator. No, he didn't. That's really Scott. Scott. Fuck. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what about a? No, he did a beautiful mind. Then he did do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a bright spot. Again, kind of drab though. Like in his look, it's just like he just uses very bland color palettes. Like all the set pieces and like the locations in in Han or in Solo are like very bland looking like they're not that interesting to look at like even the ballroom like even like the scene in like the um in that massive fucking yacht boat that's basically just another cantina remix scene yeah like there's no interesting creatures no bright just no colors there's just nothing it's very bland it's not the it's not the star wars movie that everybody wanted if they were going to do like a biopic type deal i just want to see darth maul i want to know about darth maul yeah i mean that's kind of a weird thing to throw in there yeah a lot of just felt very weird and off i don't know it's, it's, 
it was like Seems fine like, to it was fine to watch for two hours and fifteen minutes, but I think as a whole, it's when you reflect on it, it's not that interesting. Yeah, I think there's like this whole aspect to the ending that's just like, oh wait, he's a good guy. No wait, he's a bad guy. No wait, he's a good guy again. And it's just like all that super annoying. I don't think any of it is all that is any like interesting at all. And it's like it's they're taking all of the mystery like out of these movies where it's like, you know, we don't need to know where Darth Maul came came from or what he was involved in before Phantom Menace like. There's just all these things that are just being over-explained to you in these side no, no. that just, you just don't need to know. Yeah, it takes it's like it takes all the mystery out of the trilogies. And this also takes place after <clears throat> Phantom Menace. But like, even like with Rogue One, where it's like, well, we need to know how they got the plans to the Death Star. Why? Why do we need to know that? Yeah, that's a lot of this stuff. It's like it's like. It happened. That's fine. Like I don't need to see how it played out. Like I'd rather just see a completely original story. Like were you maybe okay? So like maybe in a Han Solo movie where him, it's just him and Chewie's adventure. Like okay, yeah, maybe I know that Han Solo gets away with it and they're fine because of where it leads to. But I don't know how anything else. Everything else is completely new. Like we don't even know. Like seeing him do his Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Like, one, you already know he's going to make it because of Han Solo survives. And then you also know that he's going to break this record and do it in 12 parsecs because it's referenced in the original trilogy. So, like, there is literally no mystery at all. Yeah. And then, like, having, having like, going back to what you said, like, having, like, an ending kind of already know what's going to happen is kind of liberating in a way because that at that point you can – do less with the story and do more with how they get there. Like make it more interesting yeah. of how they get to the end rather than, you know, are they going to get to the end? I find that, you know, things like star Wars and Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, which I was never really a big fan of the Hobbit anyways, but you know, as I get older, the less interested I am in them. Like, they were these amazing... Oh, Harry Potter was the other one that I was thinking of. Like, they were they were these amazing experiences for a child. They're these grand adventures that take place. And that is an amazing thing to escape to when you're 10 years old. Now that I'm, like, 22, I just find my tastes have changed, and I just I don't really care that much about them. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I still enjoy watching Lord of the Rings, and I still enjoy watching Star Wars, but just all these filler things, it's just not that interesting. Like, I don't really care. I still I still love Return of the King, and I would watch that anytime, but, like, if I never saw Empire Strikes Back again, I'd probably be all right. If I never saw New Hope, I'd be all right. Harry Potter is really the only one that I would have a tough time not seeing again. Well, it's not I, like, true. I, I would watch Prisoner of Azkaban, <clears throat> but like after that, I don't care. Yeah, but and it kind of feels like this is where like where like these Star Wars movies are going, or like where the Fantastic B series is, or even where this new Amazon Lord of the Rings show is going to be. 
just seems like that's trying to like tap in. It's like trying to like tap into nostalgia, and these like some of these fans are like so diehard that they're gonna see anything that comes out, and they know that. So like you don't even have to put any effort into it. It's just like as long as you throw that name on there, X amount of people will see it, and there's your billion dollars right there. The Amazon Lord of the Rings series is the one thing that I am so sick of hearing about. I do not care about this series. Uh-huh. And that for it to be on such like an obscure platform like Amazon Prime, like I don't care. I'm excited. I probably to won't watch it. I'm excited to see what the next big universe is going to be. Because I feel like they're trying so hard to like pump out these these universes. Well, the thing is, is that it's coming. I think it's delayed, but like intentionally to come out as Game of Thrones is ending. So it's like people now have this idea that they love these fantasy worlds. Oh, well, perfect. Game of Thrones is over now forever. Come watch our Lord of the Rings show. You'll love it. Or even that, the new Game of Thrones show they're going to make. Yeah. It's just this whole disgusting cycle of, you know, billion-dollar thing begetting billion-dollar thing, and you just get this endless cycle of trash. Well, I'm just I, – I just I just want something new. Like, I just want a different idea. I don't want – I don't want them to keep rehashing Star Wars universes – Star Wars <laughs> stories or Harry Potter stories or Lord of the Rings stories or – even Game of Thrones stories, to be honest. Like, well, I, ju- I just want something original, new, and interesting. Let me offer you a solution. Uh, build a time machine and go back to 1950, and then you can experience the cinema of the 60s and <laughs> 70s for the first time, where it's nothing but new ideas, because people finally realized that they could make movies on their own, that they didn't need some big studio. And so you have this boom of creativity where all these people... You know, basically after, um, what's that movie with Dennis Hopper? It's the mo- the motorcycle movie. Free Rider? Something like that? It's Easy like Rider? That. Easy, Easy Rider. Rider. So, like, Easy Rider is the first. After Easy Rider, it's just it's the big explosion of cinema where people just made whatever the fuck they wanted. They didn't care. Do you think we're going to have... That's the solution for you. Do you think we're going to have another explosion of cinema, seeing as how everything is having, getting easier and easier to make again? Like, we're, we're at a, another bubble. Well, I think we're also at a time where it's never been easier to make a movie, right? So, like, all three of us right here probably have everything we need to make something, if we wanted to, if we so desired. And it's just like... You know, Ridley Scott talks all the time about how there are too many movies made. And I don't necessarily know if that's true, but it's the original content that you're seeking is being made, but it might just be impossible for you to digest because it's made on such a small scale. Yeah, or is like limited from distribution or whatever because it's not this big money-making thing. Is that an issue that should be fixed? Yeah, I think they're trying to fix it. It's just it's very slow moving, and I don't even know how hard they're trying to fix it. How, like, like how how would you even do it? Like I just don't understand. Like iTunes, like you can probably watch tons of independent movies on iTunes. Like honestly, what it's gonna take is like 
just like so many Marvel movies that gets pumped out that people eventually are just going to be like, wait, I have like 30 of these films on my shelf. Like this is insane. And then just start and then it's just going to become so derivative that I don't even think it's going. I think that you can only I think you will hit a wall with that. Like I just don't feel like you can just keep sustaining that forever. Like how would a general populace just not get bored of that? And I, I definitely feel like once, not we're done, but once you kind of, we get older and the next generation kind of takes over, that's going to really be a turning point there because they're definitely not going to want to fall for the same same traps that everybody else has fallen for because they're raised in a different time and everybody, whether they're, Everybody of the next generation coming up always wants to do things different. Yeah. That, so they're going to want to break away from that mold of giant-ass uh, Marvel movies. Or at least I'm crossing my fingers. But me, just everything's being turned into a franchise now. It just is like the thing to just milk it for all it's worth. Like, just take, like, John Wick. Like, that started as such like, a simple action flick. That was a lot of fun, and then all of a sudden it's like... The trilogy's out of it. Like, why? I, it was always intended that way. It was always intended to be a trilogy? I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Gosh, they're not even well, giving also, us like, the benefit of the doubt of even of even letting us have the little inkling that it may just be a little independent, or not little individual film. But, like, at a certain point, you can't even blame the filmmaker, because it's like... They want to be making movies, and if your only option is to create this thing that has sequel potential, like, you're going to do that because it's what you want to be doing. Yeah, I guess that's true, too. Like, that also just comes from, like, studios just fucking people over and just making it so hard that you just... Basically, it's just like, we'll just get whoever is, like, easy enough to manipulate to just do this. And if we don't go see these movies, we're basically killing the cinematic experience because that's all they're putting into cinema. The cinematic experience is already dead. I'm not convinced. When your biggest theater chain in the United States, AMC, is thinking, even contemplating the idea of having a cell phone section so people can use their movie, use their phones during a movie, it's dead. I'm not going to say it's dead, but it's definitely diluted. It's dead. I mean, it's not dead for everyone, so the cinema experience isn't dead. It may just be a different experience than what it once was. But, like... The experience is changing. I think it's evolving and it's adapting. It's not just killed. It is not evolving. It is devolving. It's something disgusting. It's no, no. It's evolving into something disgusting. It started it off as something has the connotation of something positive. It started You're off as something, something pure, you know, enjoyable. Could be experienced by a couple, a family, an individual. It was great, and then it became a little. I don't know. Other factors kind of blended into our experience. And in which case, we have to adapt and overcome so that everybody can enjoy their experience while at the film. 
I don't think you should cater that experience to a select. No, let me rephrase that. You should cater that experience to a select group, and that select group is the people that actually care about it. The movies is not some place for you to go and hang out for two hours and dick around on your phone. Like, why would you go spend money to do that? That doesn't make any sense. And to cater your entire theater experience to those people, that's disgusting. I don't think you're catering the whole experience. I think it's just about finding a happy medium. But, like, you're making a designated cell phone section, so you are catering to them somewhat. Somewhat. That's what finding the happy medium is. is You're catering to one by catering to the other. Like if you're you're retracting from somebody else to cater to them. Because, like, no matter where you're sitting in a theater, when someone pulls out their phone and their screen lights up, you know. It does not matter where you are. Not if they're in a buffer zone behind you. Like, if you had the way back seats go to the cell phone people, and then you had the front row seats go to the people who are actually trying to experience the film at that point. But what if I like sitting back there? I mean, that's the thing. is one you both are going to have to sacrifice. I guess I I don't understand why the cinema purist should have to. I, I understand. And I, I, I completely agree with you that I, if it, it were an ideal world, we could have a, an experience where a cinema parents can just enjoy the cinema and with no foreign, um, foreign factors coming into play. But unfortunately, it's not the world we live in. So we can – I guess I think they're trying to make the best of a situation that's getting shittier and shittier. Because like, I'd rather have somebody playing with their phone behind me than playing with their phone in the seat directly in front of me. I don't know. I guess there is still a part of me that does not even remotely understand why you're going to a movie to play on your phone. Like, just find somewhere else to go. Go to the a bowling alley. Go to the, the mall. The social atmosphere of it. Well, first off, the social malls, atmosphere malls where you're not, are you're not allowed to talk. I just feel like you're opening a can of worms where, like, first it's cell phones, and then it's like, oh, well, we'll create a little section so, like, you can, like, whisper during the movie. I'm already against theaters that serve you, like, a full-course meal, right? This is all, this is going one step beyond that. Wait, hold on. You're against that? Yes. All right. Am I – if I'm at home, yeah, it's perfectly fine for me to eat dinner while watching something. At a theater, No. Because there's no. nothing that allows me to stop any motherfucker behind me from ordering crunchy fucking french fries, and then I just have to listen to that until they're done. All right, fair enough. If, I, if I'm at home, I did that to myself. And it is kind of distracting seeing a waiter try to, like, dodge in his way around you. And he's like, oh, sorry about that. And you're like, okay, guys, fine. But, like, you now you're just, like, distracting me. I wouldn't I'm... go as far to say... That box candies should be banned if I did not purchase them. <laughs> if I could prevent myself from eating like snow caps or goobers during a movie, then I would say yes, they should be banned. Wait, that's your go-to movie candy? It's, yeah, it's up there. Junior Mints. I don't have a problem with that. That just seems part of the movie going experience. That seems something that I can accept. The slurping of soda, the crunching of popcorn, candy, whatever. <laughs> But not like the clicking of keyboards and inevitably a small section where people can 
quietly talk about the movie that's going on or anything else. What if they decided to do this? You have one one theater for them (laughs) and one theater for you. Okay, sure, yeah. Would that That experience be... If you're separating it by showtime, that's fine. Whatever. But it's when you have to intermingle them in the same theater. Okay, now what I can compromise. Okay, this could be a compromise. If you could look up the app and it says... Uh, 12 o'clock showing is a cell phone friendly showing. Okay. I'm, uh, and then the two o'clock showing is no cell phones. Okay. At least I can know, okay, I'm not going to the 12 o'clock. I can live with that. I, I think that would be really hard to do. I think what would be easier to do is to smaller movie theaters, find a way to branch the, uh, projector into two different projectors so that you'd have like one individual movie theater that's basically just cut right in half. No. Sounds what? Awful. No. No. What you're proposing uh, makes no sense. I think no. I think I think it would make sense. You what have, I propose makes sense because there already are show times where you can look at it and it's caption and closed caption. I just have a feeling that you would Same have a thing. hard time getting people to go to a showing of a movie that's cell phone oriented, like. That's I just the think, point. It would only be for the select few that want to go to that. Yeah, the people that want to use their phone during the movie, this is their showtime. For everyone who hates those people, go to a different showtime. But nobody's going to sit there and be like, oh, you're right, I use my phone during a movie, and then they're going to go to that time, because nobody wants to admit that they are that guy. Well, they better. They better take a harsh look at themselves in the mirror before they show up to a fucking showtime. The, the 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 ticket guy looks at the person before the movie. That's, and says, that's Are you deal. sure you're not but that guy? But like, but like that... why does that matter? But that's what I'm saying. Like, but if they're offering you an opportunity for that, why would it matter if you announce yourself? You're going to the showtime that you can use your phone. Who cares? For every so. theater that I go to, I wish, like, if I'm already going to be in the movie anyways, I wish that they would just delegate delegate their custodial like not custodial but their supervising duties to me i would gladly take care of them (laughs) for any time i go to the movies i am more than willing to take over those duties from those people what do you mean supervising duties like sitting there and yelling at people to shut up and yelling at people to shut their phone off i don't think enough people get kicked out of the movies zach you would love an alamo draft house well actually you'd love it and hate it i hate it for the You'd hate it for the food aspect, Ugh. but you'd love it. But you'd love it for that. You can, you can like point out people that are talking and have them removed from the theater. Oh, it's like dang. a magician show. Yeah, where, like people that remove their coats. It's apparently rude to remove your coat at a magic show, and so like they have people with laser pointers that like point, and then the the guards like come and they like ask that person to leave. I'm perfectly fine bringing a laser pointer, and I will point at the problem people, and then they can be asked to leave. What? I'm fine with providing you, that service for no charge. You should uh, free walk to walk up to the manager at at the Bangor Cinema and say, "Listen, I have a service that you need." Scott? Yeah. Yeah, I would go up to Scott and be like, "Listen, man, I I can do this. I I will do it free of charge at all movies that I attend." I absolutely would. Maybe, maybe if they wanted to throw in a free Showtime week, sure. 
That's, that's just not. That's just common decency. But I don't ridiculous. require any sort of payment. I would just do it. That's wild. That's actually <laughs> ridiculous. People need to understand that there are consequences to their actions. Not enough people get thrown out of movies. I firmly believe that. It's true. Yeah. I guess I, all, the movie, all the movies that I go to, I hear it's not really a problem. Like, I don't think... Like, even, like, really, really busy shows, like, I don't think there's a... Like, definitely during the trailers, but during the movie itself, I I don't really see an issue. Well, I just have, like, I have a feeling that in your town there's, like, more to do than to just go to the movies or go bowling or, like... Okay, that's true, that's true. I guess if you're going to the movies, you want to see that movie. Yeah, like, that's in Bangor... That's a fair point. Like, in Bangor, there's, like... You can go to the movies, but there's not really much. You can go to your friend's house. You can go it's, bowling. I think in this scenario, sacrifice one to save a thousand applies. Get him out of there. Oh, I don't want to lose the business. Well, they shouldn't have broken the rules. Now you're saying that you're fine with criminals using your movie theater. Criminals. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're saying. (laughs) You think they're that devious? People are planning to walk into a movie theater and ruin someone else's experience. If you're going to pull out your phone and take a picture on fucking Snapchat of the screen, then yes, I assume you have malicious intent. And you should be prosecuted accordingly. People people are out to get you, Zach, aren't they? It's not me. It's the whole theater. Oh, okay. I people... do this for them. <laughs> what a selfless man. You're not, the, you're not the hero that we deserve, but you're the hero we need. Not all heroes wear capes. That's all I'm going to say. All right, man. I'll, I'll gladly try and pass on this information to all movie theaters in the area. Perfect. All right, Zach, what else did you watch this week? I watched a little Netflix movie called Cam. This came out last year, directed by Daniel Goldhaber. Um, I'd heard pretty positive things about this movie, and I guess that my expectations were a little higher, maybe a little too high. Um, I think the movie is good, not great. I, there's a lot of neon lights that I I like the use of that. I like that aesthetic. Um, there's some pretty cool handheld cinematography. Um, I will say that from the first 30 minutes, this, I would have gone a retroactive six out of five. Hmm. Like, Interesting. just the whole life of a cam girl stuff, hook, line, and sinker, I was in. That stuff is so interesting, so intriguing to me. I could have watched, I honestly wish that was the movie, because once they introduced this to their aspect of, like, Someone stole my identity. Like, I I don't know. It's pretty generic after that. It's not that interesting. Not as well done as Enemy? No. I mean, it's definitely a movie about, like, um, like your identity online. Like, we live in a time where you can be anyone you want to, and what happens when that gets taken from you? Yep. So, like, that's it's kind of interesting. I just don't think the thriller aspects are that thrilling, I guess. <laughs> The life of a cam girl stuff was definitely far more interesting. Hmm. And they're not 
they're not afraid to go places. I would say I'll say that. But there's one part where they're hosting like a a live show or whatever, a live cam girl show where she's like I forget what they call it. Like the the vibrathon or something like that where she just nice. sits on like this like vibrating dildo and it's like the people in the chat group get to like tell her like how fast or to stop or whatever. And like there's a part where they're like I heard this girl ruined her clitoris from writing this. Are you sure you want to do it? It's like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Heating up. But yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, like I said, it's good, not great. I think it's recommend worth seeing, at least. It's one of the better Netflix movies to come out. Mm-hmm. Nice. <clears throat> uh, I guess the it's slightly based on the co-writer's own personal experience as a cam girl. Okay. And so I guess they like the writer and director pair kind of wanted to dispel this idea of like sex work being inherently terrible. Like towards mm-hmm. and, like this girl like graduated from Harvard and like wanted to be a sex worker. And so that's what she did. And like they wanted it to be from the beginning like very clear that Nothing bad that happens to her is a result of being a sex worker, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Okay, that's good. So yeah, it's worth watching. Worth just a check. Le- just legalize it all, man. Make it taxable. To, how can you? That's that's a little difficult. Tax that dick. Tax the dick. Tax that dick. Hashtag tax the dick. Do you have anything else to talk about, Chris, that you watched this week? Um, I'm starting The Sopranos. Really? This is my first watch through. I've seen the first season. You've only seen the first season? Uh, and half of the second, yeah. Well, rumor has it it's a really good show, so I'm starting I it. it's terrible. Yeah. I'm going to finish it um, by the end of winter. Question, probably... did you start watching this because they announced the prequel movie? No. I started, I, Alyssa's been trying to get me to watch it for like a year and a half. But I haven't really been down for it. But you know what? It's starting to feel right. I got the big-ass 11-pound block of Parmesan cheese the other day. So I'm uh, feeling pretty Italian right now. It looks like Tony Soprano. Okay, let me, let me just let me just explain to you this story. This has nothing to do with movies. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, right, then we don't want to hear it. It's off the topic of the podcast. Just 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 hear me out. If this isn't film, this is loathing. Okay, so <laughs> I was at work and some guys about to leave on the plane, and I'm sitting there and I go to check him in. You know, do my normal routine that I always do, and then. This guy, he's like, hey, come over here. I got something for you. So me being the curious cat that I am, I'm like, dang. Probably what's called this? whiskers. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what's this guy got? What's this guy got planned for me? So I go over, and he's like, here, do you want this cheese? And it's an 11-pound block of Parmigiano-Reggiano. Not just regular Parmesan cheese. This is actually the best cheese in the world. Or the best Parmesan cheese in the world. What if he put, like, a bunch of X-Lax in it? I'm still eating it. It's worth it. <laughs> they just haven't this, gotten to that part yet. This block of cheese, 
on Amazon is two hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. The, the question that still remains is why you would just accept cheese from a stranger. He was a cheese salesman, and it's sealed in a cryogenic. Like, a cheese not, salesman. He's a cheese salesman. They're I'm they're out there. They're real. Somebody's got to sell the cheese. This man is drugging you, and well, then he knows precisely how long it's going to take for you to pass out cold, unconscious, for twenty four hours, and then he's going to come back to your apartment and just cut your kidney out of your body and sell it on the black market. Listen, if that's what's got to happen, that's what's got to happen. I got Parmigiano-Reggiano, the best Parmesan cheese in the world. You're going to carve a kidney out of Parmesan cheese and just replace it? I mean, I'm probably, I wouldn't want to do that because then I wouldn't be able to eat said Parmesan cheese. Or like maybe if I like plastic seal it and just shove it in its place and stuff it away for later. They do surgery on me one day, they pull it out, and I'm like, oh, nice, man. I totally forgot I was there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that sounds nice. But uh, yeah, I'm going to eat the shit out of it. Oh, right. uh, there is a closed pin on the nipple. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Jake, what about you? You got anything? I got nothing. I had that one movie. Well, bud, you logged Garden State. What's that about? <laughs> I like Garden State. Oh, you've seen it? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's written and directed by uh, Zach Braff. Um, he plays the main character. Um, it's about this guy whose mother passes away, so he comes back to his hometown for his funeral. And while he's back, he meets this um, pretty comical, pretty laissez-faire girl um, played by Natalie Portman, and they have a blooming relationship. And as the movie goes on, you re- you learn about some of their 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 past and how kind of messed up it is and um yeah it's not bad it's pretty funny it's got some funny moments i wouldn't say that it's a comedy but it's got some situations that definitely play out as pretty funny yeah um i've never yeah i don't really have a lot to say about it but i watched it the other day rachel wanted to check it out so i watched it with her it was pretty. Good. It was good. I laughed. I like Zach Braff. I'm a scrub. I like Scrubs though. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of him. Like, I, th- I liked him in this because he was like playing a serious role and just like some moments trying was funny. But I think in Scrubs he is trying to be funny and I don't think it always works. At least not for me. Yeah. I mean, I get why people wouldn't like Zach Braff. It's like. Yeah, no, I understand why people wouldn't like him, but there's just something about him. Like, I, I, I feel like he tries so hard, and he's not always 100% successful in, like, the way that he intends to be, but he is always successful in a some way. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense at all to you guys. Oh, there is a great scene where... One of like it's it's Zach Braff's last day in town, and one of his high school buddies like wants to get him this present, so they like jumping all over town, because like one place that they go will like give them information how like to go where to go next in order to track this thing down. So one of the things they end up is in this like room, like this room that's behind a bunch of hotel rooms that you can like <laughs> peek into. You can peek into, and they're all like it's a bunch of like businessmen sitting on a couch watching porn. And there's like a there's like um 
I don't even know what to call him, like a butler type guy who just bell like stand, a, a bellhop, like a Kaviga way, yeah, who like lets people in and out of the room and it's just like there. It's it's pretty funny. You, you know who that was, right? Who? The bellhop. Yeah, who was it? It was Method Man. Oh, that's right. It was, yeah. <laughs> Method Man just shows up in a random Zach Braff movie. That's right, yeah. That, that reminds me. In, uh, in Fire Fraud, the Hulu documentary, they uh, the first time they like bring up Ja Rule, they play that, that Dave Chappelle skit where he's talking about like how Ja Rule was uh, interviewed after 9-11, and they're like, what does Ja Rule think about this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but nothing oh. really else to say about Garden State. I got, I got, I got another show. Well, oh, it's not your turn. it's your turn. It's your turn. Do you think? Do you uh, think, baby? I also, so I did some prepping for the remakes episode. Uh, I watched. Dracula from 1931. No Sparatu? By, no. Directed by Todd Browning. And I also watched Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The film with Gary Oldman? Yes, it is with Gary oh, Oldman. Yeah. Did you say that was 92, Zach? Correct. Nice. So, Early 90s, huh? The 1931 version, I think... This is my first time watching it. I think if you're someone who claims to like movies, it's a must-watch. Um, there's some really creepy imagery in this, and it's like the first scene where you see him like coming out of his coffin. There's like he's like underground. He steps out. He's like all in black. There's a bunch of smoke, and then there's like three like female vampires and like dressed in all white they're just kind of lingering behind him and it's super creepy um bless you i don't know like it's there's a lot of overacting but like that's just the time period that's just like what it was i think bella lugosi is a phenomenal dracula he just looks really creepy and weird but like he does there are times where he has like he has this menacing stare that's just like really overplayed. So they're like, he like makes an innuendo about, um, what's the first one he makes? Oh, they're like, he says something about like what it must be like to die, like for good. And the girls are like, Count Dracula, surely you can't mean that. And then he's just like cut too close up of his face and he's just like, Like it's supposed to be this scary, like intimidating thing, but I just couldn't stop laughing. For for those who didn't just see Zach, what he did was just widen his eyes. What he did was like there's like a part where uh, they finally introduce Van Helsing, and they're all kind of like standing around. And they're like they're noticing that he's not showing up. Uh, his reflection's not showing up in the mirror. And so they were like, "Count, please, like, tell us what you think about this." And then they like open it in front of him. And he like slaps it to the ground, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I just don't like mirrors." And he goes, 
Sing <laughs> stare again. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> no, I I really enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, I think I'm gonna watch the Spanish version tonight. Uh, so at this time they would make like the foreign language version at the same time they made the English language version. So for, at 8 a.m. Uh, Todd Browning and like Bela Lugosi, they would all show up to do the English version, and they would leave at like six or whatever, and then the Spanish people would come in and they would make the Spanish version and use the exact same sets. Hmm. So like, Spanish version is a half an hour longer, so I just I kind of want to know like what they do with that extra half an hour. And from what I've heard, they, this? they might. I hope so. And from what I've heard, like. The American version that the women are dressed almost head to toe, and that's not true of the Spanish version. Hmm. Hmm. So you're looking for something a little more revealing? Well, I I think it's like an interesting commentary of the times where women were not supposed to be sexual in America in the 1930s, and that might not necessarily be true for Spanish women of the 1930s. Uh, and then I watched Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, which is amazing. Yes, it is. A, uh, a gothic visceral masterpiece. Gary Oldman, Anthony Hopkins, they're both amazing. Uh, Keanu Reeves is fucking brutal. Oh, God. Almost ruins the whole movie. Um, he, sound, he sounds like Oliver Twist Me Talks. It's and it has like that. I, I guess I never, I never realized how bad he was until this time around. I haven't bad. seen it. Uh, they out, in, so like they introduced this romantic aspect that's never existed in the Dracula story before. And so like before Dracula leaves Transylvania to come to England, just basically just to, a new feeding ground, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And in Francis Ford Coppola, he comes because uh, he basically comes for love, like for um, Will and Ryder's character. And so it's it's this big grand love story, but it's also about just like lust and carnal desire. Mm. And the costuming and the sets are amazing. Like the whole thing was filmed on a soundstage, which is just crazy to think about. Especially when you see a lot of this. And I guess almost their entire budget was spent on just costuming and set design. Hmm. And from, I guess I didn't realize this, but it, like, it's not really well respected. Like, critics did not hate it, but they also didn't like it. Which it's is a very daring, it's a very daring film for the early 90s. And it's just. I thought it was amazing. Every It's a little bloated, I guess, if I had one criticism, but, like, there's maybe ten minutes you could cut, but other than that, I don't see a single problem with it, besides Keanu really? Reeves. I say, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> besides old Mr. Reeves. Well, we already know Chris doesn't have anything to tell to talk about, so you might as well rattle off your other stuff. Oh, I got a TV show that I watched. Oh, uh, no one cares. I've been really into cooking shows lately. I definitely don't care. So I watched this cooking show called Ugly Delicious. 
It's about this guy who is that pitched... the Action Bronson show? No, try. Oh, I want to watch that one though. It's on like YouTube. Action Bronson's sick. But anyways, like, nothing stopping you from watching it. Yeah, except the ugly. Del- I'm watching Ugly Delicious, so I got to pick. Yeah, one. yeah, you can't can't watch both. That's crazy. Um, but I'm watching. This one guy, what he does is he chooses a type of food like pizza, tacos, or whatever. Pizza, then, tacos? No, pizza or tacos or like oh. fried chicken or something. And he basically dives into uh, the history of it, what makes it special, and all the like different connotations or different uh, opinions that go along with said food. Like all the different styles of barbecue, all the like what makes Korean barbecue different from American barbecue and why Korean barbecue isn't widely as accepted in America as regular barbecue, that type of stuff. And it's actually a pretty cool, um, pretty cool in-depth look on certain foods that we all kind of take for granted. Like tacos, Mm. man. Tortillas were being eaten before settlers came to America. Huh. Well, well. Right? That's pretty wild. Tacos are older than the American civilization. Whoa. Should not all that surprising, but yeah. <laughs> You're just America saying established in, if you want to be generous, the 1630s. Uh, so that means that there are 1,630 years before the American civilizations. So, yeah, it makes sense that tacos would exist. <laughs> no, tacos, tacos are different than than tortillas. Like, it's not just tortilla stuff with meat. It's tortilla stuff with meat, salsa, and a veggie. Those are not the tacos I eat, so I guess I've never had a taco in my life. Apparently so. Well, that's not true. Lettuce is a vegetable. Could have fooled me. Really, Jacob? You don't have anything else to mention? No, why? What else do I got to mention? Tell us about your TV. Let me just have a look here. Yeah, look through my letterbox. I don't got anything really to talk about. Huh. 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 Interesting. If there's something something you want to hear about, I'll gladly talk about it. It seems as though I've never on the show heard you talk about the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. Good time. I talked Uh, about good time last week. Mm, I'm sorry, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I thought I could have swore that I did. Not that I recall. I definitely did not put it in the show notes. If you did, I could have swore that I did. Maybe I didn't. Well, let's just keep going. Beautiful, uh, yep. creep. Yep. Monsters, the sisters, brothers. Did I definitely did talk about. Brothers? I definitely did talk about the sisters, brothers. The tale. Two weeks ago. That was also a couple weeks ago. I talked about it. The old man and the gun? That I might not have talked about. Well, it looks like they're... Well, someone's not really playing their part here, Chris. <laughs> well, this is like... this is Well, those were like last week's stuff. This is like things I've watched for this week's episode. I haven't watched a whole lot. I will talk to you about the autopsy of Jane Doe. I have mentioned... I own it on Blu-ray, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm interested to watch it. Okay, I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, it's directed by the Swedish director by the name of Andre Overdahl, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, 
It stars Emile Hirsch and Brian Cox in it. And actually, I do really enjoy Brian Cox a lot in it. He plays great. Um, the premise seems like it should be pretty straightforward. It's about basically about these sheriffs that discover um, a body in this basement. And then there's like a murder scene that's happened in the house and they don't know who the, they don't they don't know who the girl is. They don't know how she died, so they bring her in for an autopsy and as they start to dissect her, they find some really weird things. Uh, like really weird. And that alone, so the first like forty minutes, like I was really hooked. Like I, I thought this was gonna be like a five star film. And then as it sort of gets into the middle of the second act and the third act, it completely changes a bit and gets more supernatural, which I was not crazy about. Um, Yeah, it wasn't even that great. It was kind of a predictable twist. Um, It wasn't all that... It wasn't all that interesting. Definitely not all that scary. Like you kind of, you definitely know all the jumps when they're gonna happen. It's not, it's not that hard to tell. Very foreshadowed. Um, but those first forty minutes, man, whew, damn, it's good. Like I like the idea of a film of just being like, like literally just cutting open a body and like running through theories of how they could have died and like ruling out certain things like that's very interesting to me like the procedural side where it goes i don't wasn't crazy about yeah yeah i'll probably still watch it at some point before i die it's interesting like definitely an interesting concept i just feel like it would have been more interesting if they just kept it simple i will quickly go through the last two things that i watched so I watched M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water. And I thought this was kind of just one of those movies that, you know, people didn't love. But uh, people hate it. And I guess I I don't really know why. Like, have, you, have either of you seen this? This is one of the ones I have not seen. I am not sure if I've seen it or not. So, like, I don't know. It's It's an interesting movie. I watched it, and then I watched the 36-minute behind-the-scene documentary. The behind-the-scene documentary is quite good. I liked that a lot. Hmm. Uh, the movie is, like, decent. Like, I think I gave it a three and a half. It has this interesting idea of, like, this apartment building, and then later it introduces this idea that uh, in order for Bryce Dallas Howard to get back to her storytale like, world, these people have to come together to help her and it's like these people have come to this building unconsciously knowing that their destiny is to help Bryce Dallas Howard I thought that's an interesting idea uh, there's some effects in the movie that have not aged well at all but the imagery is interesting mm. uh, Paul Giamatti's good uh, oh it has your guy in it Jeffrey Wright the dude from Hold the Dark that's right he is in it and I've never come that Jeffrey Wright is my dude, all right? I, I like Hold the Dark. Yeah, I'm, he's still, I'm still calling him your dude. <laughs> he's your boy. Your boy, Jeffrey Wright. Uh, and then I watched last night, uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? 
directed mm. by Ariel Heller. Uh, in which I think Jacob is just a hater, really. I didn't mind this movie. I don't think it's great, but I don't mind it. Wait, what was the movie? Uh, can you ever forgive me? Oh, okay. And to be clear, I didn't say I... I don't hate it. It was fine. I don't get all the pr- Melissa McCarthy praise. I do get it. I think she's great. This is probably the only thing I've ever enjoyed her in. I wouldn't even say that I enjoyed her because I actually loathe her. But I Why? think she's good in the role. Just watch the movie. Like this, the Lee. That that is my main criticism of the movie, is that Lee Israel is someone that I just one hundred percent do not have any sympathy for and she is this character that i feel is impossible to have empathy for because of how she is portrayed in this movie and she is portrayed literally as richard grant states like you are a horrid cunt lee like that is a line in the movie and it's like yeah absolutely she (laughs) is a dick to the world and everyone in it Yet she still has the sense of entitlement that the world owes her something. And I, those are the people I can't stand the absolute most. So, like, I think just from the beginning, who Lee Israel was, I was never going to be on board with her. But, like, I think the performances are good. The story is phenomenal. Like, that's very interesting. Yes, I'll agree with that. And, like, obviously... But tell me why Melissa McCarthy's performance is so great. I mean, she just because it's, because it's different than anything else she's done. That's I would say great. that's part of it. Is that like it is different than there's no like ha ha moments. There's like it just feels like the, laughter. It just feels like the Christian Bale argument. That just because you put on weight doesn't make it a great performance. Like I don't just think because she's it's different weight. I think she's always no, been no. That, but... but I mean, like because Christian Bale put on weight, that doesn't mean that that performance is great. So what I'm saying is, just because Mother Car- McCarthy is playing a different role than what she normally does, I don't think that automatically makes it great. But I think she, I don't know. There, there are close-ups in the movie, a lot of them actually, that like I think you can sort of get a sense of the torn feelings that Lee Israel has about herself where she is outwardly very hateful, but inwardly has tons of insecurities and that's potentially why she is that way. I think Melissa McCarthy does that pretty well. Uh, I don't think she's a standout. I think Richard E. Grant is phenomenal in this movie. Mm -hmm. He is by far my favorite part. And that's really all I have to say. I hate that Ben Falcone's in it, but whatever. I can get over it. What do you want to say? He's the one. You know, when they say, like, oh, there's some of these people at this auction, like, aren't, are pretty shady. And then they point to some guy. And then she goes to do business with that guy. Uh, I guess it's not really come, ringing a bell. Like, I know the scene, but I can't think of what the guy looks like. It's the first person that Richard E. Grant goes to to sell something, and the guy's like, well, how, yeah, this is something I'm interested in, but how did you know that? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know the scene, but I can't think of what the guy looks like. Yeah, well, he's married to Melissa McCarthy, and, like, anything that they do together is brutal. So I think Mm -hmm. she should distance her, despite being married to him, should get as far away from him as possible. Hmm. 
I like Melissa McCarthy. I think she's funny. Yeah, but like, she's not trying to be funny. It's just like you laugh at her in this movie the same reasons you laugh at Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's just because he's an asshole. Like the things <laughs> that he says to people are dickishly funny. Like that's why you laugh in this movie, not because she's trying to be funny. Yes. <clears throat> Anything else to talk about, Zach? Uh, no, that's it. Okay, well, I guess I'll round it off to make you happy. I will talk about good time. If I don't I didn't even talk... want that anymore. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost positive I talked about this last week. I didn't? I don't think so. Okay, well, um, good time is directed by Ben and Josh Safdie. And it even stars Ben Safdie or Josh? I don't remember. Um, one of them stars in it alongside Robert Pattinson. And typically, I'm not a very big Robert Pattinson fan, but I do like him quite a bit in this. I think he's great. Um, I really like the story. I like the concept of the story of these two brothers that rob a place and one of them gets thrown in jail. So the other one has to try to break them out. I thought that was a cool premise, and I liked where it started to go. Um, but I think as the rest of it unfolded, it kind of felt very dragged out. And then it kind of just ends sort of unsatisfact- unsatisfactory. Is that – yeah. It was and very unsatisfying. Yeah. And in an unsatisfactory fashion. Yes, thank you. Um like, I do like where it meets up with that random guy who he accidentally breaks out of the hospital. I thought that was pretty funny. I like that. I like them trying to go chase down the money to, like, try to get his brother out. But, like, it feels like it spends a lot of time in the amusement park. See, I and loved then, all that stuff. See, like, I liked it, but it was just, like, when you start to think about, like, what's going on and, like, where it eventually leads to, like, reflecting back on it. It was kind of like, huh, why do we spend so much time here? Like, the ending feels very anticlimactic. Um, and it seems like it builds up there very quickly and then kind of just resolves. Um, so that kind of took it away from it a little bit. But other than that, I really enjoyed I – like, I enjoyed a lot of the use of color in it. I thought that was great, um, especially in the amusement park. Um, I really liked that the closing credit scene was just like a, essentially a continuation of the movie. Where it just had the credits rolling over, rolling over it until it eventually just ended all together. I thought that was really cool, and they kind of did a similar thing with the opening credits. So both of those worked really well. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, from like hearing like you talk about it, Zach, and hearing Andrew talk about it, like I was expected to like it to be like amazing. Um, and I definitely think it's good, and I liked it, but I don't think it was at that amazing level for me. Yeah, it's it's a similar thing that I talked about with Barry Jenkins, where, like, it's amazing in terms of, like, this is their second or third movie. So, like, what they, what they do with that with very little money and, like, the energy that they sustain for most of the movie, like, that, that is amazing that they do that. But, like, I, I agree with most of what you're saying, which is, like, again... Similar to Barry Jenkins, I think that is things that they will sort of work out with experience. Yeah, 
Um, there's just it's just like very minor things that could be tightened up a little bit. And I'm sure if they keep getting an opportunity to make films that they will continue to flesh that out. Um, but like their I think their visual style is great. I think they have definitely have a lot going for them there. And I look forward to um, a lot of other stuff they have come out, especially uncut gems. I would so recommend seeing Heaven Knows What. That's up on my Netflix queue. It's not an easy film to watch, but it's very good. I'll definitely be checking it out. But then aside from that, I had nothing else that I feel is really worthy of talking about. All right. Zach, you? I'm out. All right. Let's get to wind it down here. Anything on your guys' radar coming up that you guys want to be checking out? Uh, well, there is. Um, I mean, I probably won't be able to see it for quite some time. But the movie is called... Um, let me find it. Is it Arctic? No. Because no, I really want to see that. Uh, I don't know what that is. It's um, a movie with Mads Michelson, and he's like a crashes a plane in the Arctic, and he basically has to make oh. a decision where he should, whether he should like just stick by this wreckage and hope someone comes and finds him, or if he should just needs to go out and seek to be rescued. That is not what I was thinking of. Um, the movie or well, Cold Pursuit comes out. I can't wait. Ooh. Is that Feb 1st? No, February 8th. Oh, okay. Uh, so Velvet Buzzsaw is coming out, and I'm pretty interested in that. Yeah, I was going to ask if we wanted to talk about that on the show. Yeah, I'm fine with doing that. We obviously aren't doing it next week, but... Sure, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, the film I was originally thought of is called The Wild Pear Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a Turkish film from... Uh, Nuri Bil Silan, who directed Winter's Sleep, which is amazing. And yeah, I can't wait till I finally get to see that. And Climax is hitting select theaters too. Oh, for February 1st? I think so. Perfect. Chris, anything on your radar? No, I'm mostly just watching whatever I want to watch. That doesn't not. mean you can't be looking forward to something. Nah, I'm just not, man. I don't know. Chris is a nihilist. He doesn't care about anything. I I I am more focused on watching because, like, I there's still a whole bunch of past cinema that I haven't even focused on yet. Like so, Buster Keaton. Bust really anything really. I've watched the like same movies for like my whole life, so I figured branch out a little bit. So I How many still times did you watch Goodwill Hunting this year? Uh, three times. <laughs> yeah, I've watched it three times. Lot. Yeah. Since wait, since January first? Well, no, because there was a while there around January where I watched it like three times in three days. I started off strong. I started off last year strong. Or. <laughs> Shit, it's 2019. No, I've only seen it once this year. Do you still watch it once in 2019? Yes. Didn't feel like you should talk about it on the show? 
No, not particularly. I didn't even Why log in. Why have the show? Because uh, I'm saving that for a special episode, okay? But <laughs> I, I, there's like decades and decades and uh, foreign films upon foreign films that I have not even given the light of day of past, so I feel I need to watch that. Time to get going. That's why I asked for uh, True Grit, you know? Yeah, so you I, that was crazy heart. That was crazy heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how I want to approach this. If I want to go decade by decade, if I want to go director by director. Watch or... the AFI Top 100 first. The AFI Top 100? That's a good place. That, that is a simple list that you can produce on the internet. If you really, if you want to get crazy, they considered 250. You can watch all those. Okay. A good starting point. All right. Plus, I still want to watch Doctor Zivago, so. Which is on That's, Netflix. So you have no reason not to watch it's it. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I, I've seen it's. I've scrolled past it like fifteen times. As of late. Like today. Oh shit, guys! Next week I'm gonna I have. Say, a good you better be having it on here next week. <laughs> you better be talking about it. Oh, it'll be there. This is this is this is a clocking in at three hours and eight minutes. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> you fucking kidding me? No. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna kill myself by the end of it. I think Connor watched that, and I think he was a big fan. It sounds familiar now. I mean, I feel like if you watch any movie over three hours, you have to say you love it, or you will feel that those three hours were just wasted. I'm, I've wasted three uh, hours before. Hmm. I've watched The Mask 2 back-to-back before, so... Like maybe maybe it is just me, but the more time I dedicate to something, the more inclined I feel like to like it so that I can justify having dedicated that much time to it. The only ex- like uh, I don't know. anomaly I to this list would be Gangs of New York, but... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Gangs of New York does not qualify. Cloud Atlas doesn't qualify. My fucking gosh, there's no winning with you goobers. I think those are the two really long ones that didn't re- that don't really keep my interest. I used to like Cloud Atlas. Now it just seems a little bloated. Is that, is that the one with Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah, that was really bad. It's like it's not bad. It's just very bloated. Beyond bloated, it's pretty bad. Um, but any, everything else I really like. Gladiator, Troy, Lord of the Rings. I like genuinely like them. Schindler's List. Yeah, I like them. I gotta read God, The Godfather, List. Scarface. Scarface keeps you interested throughout, though. Titanic? Yeah. Okay, there's one I don't care for. Like I've Titanic. seen it recently enough for me to say I don't like it. Because, like, I, obviously, when I saw it when I was fucking eight years old, I wasn't going to like it. But maybe <laughs> so if I watch it now, I would. Um, just knowing Leo in his in those days, I can just picture just not liking it. If I, was, I saw it... Kate Winslet? Oh, man. I would have to rewind the part where she says, paint me like one of your French girls. I would have to just keep rewinding it. Cause it's so funny. <laughs> Such a stupid thing to say. <laughs> I uh, I'm a sucker for a love story. 
So, I mean, I'm all in on the Titanic. Well, then you're going to love Suspiria. Wait, is it a love story? No, but... No. <laughs> what? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. You know what makes no sense? Thinking uh, True Grit and Crazy Heart are the same thing. I <laughs> didn't think they were the same thing. It's just Jeff Bridges. Sneaky, man. It's sneaky. <laughs> well, Suspiria has Dakota Johnson, Dakota Johnson's in Fifty Shades Grey. Fifty Shades Grey is a love story, so... It's pretty much a love story. Oh, another lo- really long one that I say, like, I'm not super crazy about, even though everybody else is, Apoc- um, Apocalypse Now. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I thought you were going to um, say Apocalypto, and then I was going to hang no, up. No, I, Apoc- I love Apocalypto. Oh, shit, maybe I can I need to scour down that Blu-ray. I would love to watch that again. Um, Good luck. Good luck? Why? I don't think there is one. Why wouldn't there be? You say that as if every movie ever has gotten a Blu-ray release. That's uh, not how it happens, uh, bud. Uh, pretty fucking close. Nope. You have so uh, much to learn. You have the, so much to learn. Has The Mummy come out on Blu-ray? Which one? Not Tom Cruise, Brandon Fraser. Uh, yep. That was my that was my first uh, theater experience. So you can get Apocalypto on Blu-ray, but for some reason it is like stupid expensive i don't know why i'm pretty sure it's out of print oh is that why that could be yeah. why that's why this could be why it's a hundred dollars what yeah, yeah it, blue uh walmart.com stocks it for 91.95 shit yeah it's it's out of print right now okay that makes sense because i only have the dvd and then you said i would get the blu-ray and i'm like <laughs> Yeah, right, chump. I would love to watch that again, though. That's a good movie. <laughs> All right, well, um, so there next week on the show. Do you know why I spend X amount of dollars like buying new Blu-rays? Because eventually they're going to be out of print. You're going to have to pay $100 to buy them. So it's who's true. the real idiot? Not me. Still you. <laughs> Still you. <laughs> Continue with the outro. Uh, thank you. So next week on the show, we'll be doing a Hall of Fame review, double feature, where we'll be reviewing uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria, which will be up for a Hall of Fame nomination. And then we'll also be pairing it with the 2018 Suspiria. And on top of that, we will also be doing our top five. Is that what we're deciding on? Top five? Sure. Our top five remakes <clears throat> and i'm going to leave that vague at the, for the moment because it seems like the three of us are interpreting that differently of what our lists are so come back next week to find out what we're talking about um where can people follow you guys <laughs> uh send emails to the show at film and loathing podcast at gmail.com film a and d loathing podcast uh you can find updates about me sometimes i posted a picture yesterday of joaquin phoenix i'm in here advice that was kind of cool uh <laughs> that's on twitter at zach searles 207 you can see some of my photography uh on instagram at his dudeness 96 
Uh, I posted pictures from a wrestling event I took pictures of yesterday, so you don't want to miss those. And just so I don't have to repeat them all again, you can find me at Chris Duplissy across the board on all platforms. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at the Real Juicy Jake, and you can find me on Letterbox, just Jake Searles. If you're curious to see what I'm watching these days, because it you might not, not make it on the show, it might. Not. <laughs> uh, but until next week, thanks for listening. Shot the Mars 1500. West Coast on Smash Mania. Oh, yeah. I got a number now. I call it. I think I love her now. I'm falling, 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 falling. Dog falling, County, the number falling, one co signer. Oh, yeah. I got a number now. I call it. I think I love her now. I'm falling, 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 falling. Hey, Dick, let's go. Ah, I think I love her now. She make my mother proud. Cloud nine, and I ain't coming down. Real beauty like this don't come around. Look into your eyes, through your Dior frames. Let's flow high like we board planes. My boys look at me all strange. They like, what this nigga like on? Up late night, staring at your icon. Photo on your blog site, pondering the thought like, I'm the one you type, baby. I can be your icon. Shit, baby, I can be your sidekick. You can be my main thing. I think you're the right fit. Oh, shit. I got a number now. I call it. I think I'm never now.